0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, The Church. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter four, verses one and two, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Grace of Preaching.
1: I want you to imagine that you've moved to a new location and now you're looking for a church and you don't know anyone, and perhaps the move came because of your job. Well, at any rate, you're new to everything in your new city or town, and because you're a Christian, your first priority is to find a place of worship. Where can you meet with God's people and join in adoration of our Savior? Well, a number of years ago, a couple whom, you know, Kathy and I now consider to be very dear friends, well, way back then, they had just moved into the city where I was serving as a senior pastor. And so it came to be that on one Sunday, they and their children showed up into our church. And because there were many people there, I didn't notice them. So life just went on as normal for me. But that following week, I received a phone call from them. They explained they just moved into town. They'd been living in a different country and they wanted to meet with me. And I, Well, I was delighted to take the time for them. They wanted to do something that first, well, I really hadn't anticipated it, but second, it really delighted me. They wanted to know not just what our church believed, but also what I personally believed. If they were to join our congregation, if they were to bring their family to hear me preach and instruct all of them, well, they wanted to know in advance what they were getting themselves into. I remember the woman asking my philosophy of preaching, did I consider myself to be an expositor? And since I did, would I explain to both of them what I meant by that? And it didn't just stop there. How about those historic Christian doctrines? Was I strong on them or not? Would I emphasize them or would I ignore them or would I contradict them? And furthermore, what did I think was the goal of the Christian life? Well, clearly I was being interviewed. And I'm happy to say, after we were done, they did join our fellowship, and as I've indicated, they and our family became friends. It was a deep, lasting friendship, but I'll never forget how we first met. They weren't going to take any guff. So let us know, up front, who are you, what's your church all about, and what should we expect? I've thought about that rather unique interview. I've wondered why I haven't had more of those kind. I mean, think about it. I mean, what if in the medical world, there were a number of different kinds of doctors out there? And there were those who, as we think of them today, are men and women of science who, you know, use the best scientific data to provide the best possible healthcare. And that would include the tests that they provide for our yearly physical. But let's say there are also witch doctors out there. And let's also say that there are some who simply believe that illness is just a state of mind. I mean, what if they were also out there? I mean, what if all of those kind of people were hanging out a shingle that said, doctor? Yeah, I'm not trying to make light of this, but think about it in terms of how you look for a church. Many don't know the questions that they should ask, but I use this illustration to help us understand what we should look for in a local church. What makes a local church good or effective? I do know there are some who evaluate a local church on the basis of externals. Some say, I like a large church. Others, I like a small church. Others, I like a church that has great music, kind of like the music that I like to listen to. And still others, I like a pastor who speaks to me personally. Now, what they mean by that can vary. You know, it might mean that he speaks to my emotional needs or my intellectual needs or even says the kind of things that I'm concerned about. And I say all of these things are external things. So let me suggest we begin at a very different place. Instead of asking what we're looking for in a church, let's start by asking what I need and what you need in your life. Why do you exist? So let me answer that. You were created to know God and to enjoy him forever. And we find that in the very first chapters of our Bible, Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so created in God's image, we were created for relationship with our creator. Genesis 3, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? Every single day, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, walked with God, communicated with God, shared intimacy with God, understood their purpose in God, and longed to know God more and to know each other more. The world was as it should be, peace within and peace without, fullness of joy, intimacy with our Creator. This was why they were created. But of course, we're also created to rule the works of God's hands. But all that world, as we know, was lost. Romans 3.23 tells us we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And out of our estrangement with our Creator has come death and wreckage and lack of purpose and lack of joy and lack of knowing God. The gospel is that God has sent us a Savior, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and to reconcile us to the Father. And we also know that this reconciliation to God is called grace. Grace means receiving something that we haven't deserved. Now, the entire life that we enjoy in Christ, all of it, comes to us of grace. We don't deserve the kindness of God. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve the hope of eternal life or reconciliation with the Father. We get all of it by grace. Let's go one step further. There are, according to God's designs, means of grace. Grudem says that a means of grace is any activity within the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace to Christians. Do some of us actually get more grace? Well, yeah, we do. Have you noticed the person who has an overwhelming experience of constant joy? Yeah, joy is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How about that person who has a great sense of purpose, both of his purpose as well as of life as a whole? Or the person who is completely free of all the guilt of past sins, knowing that his or her forgiveness is complete? or the person whose prayer life is so rich and so full that they exude the joy of a satisfying relationship with God. It's called more grace. Now, this brings me to the means of grace that God provides through the church. There is some grace that God has designed should only come to our lives through the local church. So let's talk about those means of grace. 1 Corinthians one twenty-one: For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Do you see that? Preaching is the means that God has chosen to save those who would believe. But not just to save, but it's also the means that God has chosen to sustain our faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, just a little help in understanding this verse. Did you notice that in 1 Corinthians 1.21, Paul spoke of preaching to save those who believed? That verse speaks of our salvation as a punctiliar event. We're reminded of John Newton's word in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. There, Newton speaks of the hour he first believed. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2, Paul speaks about standing in the gospel you received, and that meaning they received it in the hour they first believed. And now in verse 2, Paul speaks of them being saved. He means, of course, the ongoing work of salvation, the grace of holiness. The grace of saying no to sin and saying yes to righteousness. The grace of being every day saved. That is our experience. It's very important to talk about this because, as we all know, in our day, there are some spectacular collapses. Christian leaders that were once on the main stage with every eye fastened on them. Men who could speak exceedingly well. They could defend the faith well. They could give a vision for the future direction of the church, and multitudes listened to them, and then we find all along they were carrying on in a secret hidden sin. But God was determined to out them so that nothing unholy should cloud his presence. See, if you die in that kind of sin and you've not repented of it, you've not turned from it, I would say it's evidence that you were never in Christ in the first place. We ought to look at these dramatic collapses of our leaders and we should personally fear. We should fear for our own salvation, for if God didn't spare them, well, he won't spare us either. And so what can be done? Well, God provides enough grace for us to continue believing and growing in holiness. He does. Indeed, as we read 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2, Paul tells us that we are being saved if we hold fast to the word that he preached. Now that would mean that Paul was convinced that the preached word of God was not only able to save in the first place, but it's also the means of grace that God uses to keep his people walking in the pathway that he set
0: out for them. This month, Back to the Bible Canada's focus is on our international ministry partnerships. We wanna share the great thing God is doing beyond our borders. The goal for our international ministry efforts in February is to raise $100,000, and we invite you to prayerfully consider how you could help. This month, your gift can send a pastor in India or Sri Lanka to a Bible teaching conference. Just $50 covers all the costs associated Or you could choose to participate in our $25,000 International Match Campaign. Every dollar you give will be matched up to $25,000. And all of this goes to support international partnership efforts, supplying Bible teaching resources, Bible audio programming, and Bible teaching conferences. Your generosity makes it all possible. For more information or to give, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Let me put it plainly. It's Sunday and you're settling down in your seat and your pastor opens the scripture and he begins to explain it and he gives application to your life. That's the means of grace that God has given to the church to maintain and grow the spiritual life of his people preaching is a means of grace many of us don't understand that preaching is central to the christian life and because of that we don't understand that it's the means of grace that god has given to each local church it pleased the lord said paul through the folly of preaching or the foolishness of preaching to save those who would believe and when paul says that he's speaking about preaching in contrast to the jewish hunger for miracles or to the Greek hunger for philosophical wisdom. In contrast to that, preaching seems so weak and less than up to the task. But, as a matter of fact, preaching is God's chosen means of both saving the lost and preserving the elect. Step back for a moment and consider the importance of preaching to our faith. The gospel writers tell us that Jesus entered onto the public stage, and here's what he did. According to Matthew 4:17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, Jesus began his ministry first and foremost as a preacher. Listen to how Mark describes the ministry of Jesus. Mark 1, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. That is, according to Jesus' own testimony, He had come to this earth to preach. Now here's something to muse upon. Why is it, when thinking about what Jesus did, so many people speak of him as, well, a healer, a man of compassion on the poor, a great prophet, a man who cast out demons, and of course, he was all of those things. But why is Jesus never portrayed as a preacher, the greatest preacher that ever walked the earth? That is who he was, Jesus the preacher. For Jesus, it was his preaching that gave rise to everything else in his ministry. And following the preaching of Jesus, we have the preaching of the apostles, the men whom Jesus trained. The church on the day of Pentecost began when the preaching of Peter brought 3,000 people into the church. The church of Jesus was literally built on preaching. So how important was preaching? Well, the answer is found in Acts chapter six. A crisis had developed in the early church we'll call it an administrative snafu or call it the result of prejudice but whatever the reason some poor and needy widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food act 6 verse 2 and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of god to serve tables now of course others with the right giftedness the right spiritual qualifications were found to take care of the feeding of the poor. But I hope you can see the point. What a tragedy it would be if the means of grace that God had provided to the church, that is the preaching of the word, had become neglected because of other duties. Wise churches who understand this concept will ensure that whoever preaches the word should not be distracted by administrative matters, but rather is given the freedom to study well. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, the fact that Paul ends that line with the words, rightly handling the word of truth, leads me to ask the question of the content of preaching, which also leads me to ask the question, not just what the preacher believes, but also what the church in which he preaches also believes. Let me put it another way. If preaching is one means of grace that God has given to ensure that we continue to walk in the faith that we don't stray, but are driven to an onward and ever-deepening relationship with God through Christ our Savior, are we then saying that any old preaching will do? Just put yourself under anyone who preaches. Is that good enough? And you already know the answer to that question. Preaching any old thing is not the means of grace that God has chosen. And so when we say that preaching is an important means of grace, we need to ask, what kind of preaching? And that, if you will remember, is what that couple wanted to know when they came to my office. Indeed, let me give you another example. Years ago, while pastoring a church, I was given the privilege of serving a role in the conversion of a man who would, in my estimation, become a model of what, in my eyes, a faithful Christian looked like. And it was some years after I was long gone from that church that I found that he had left that church, and I wanted to know why. And he said, because the church made a decision to bring in a key preacher who preached the gospel of personal improvement. And I asked him, what do you mean by that? And he said, I've heard sermon after sermon on self-help, improving your self-esteem, having your needs met, and becoming the best you you can be. He even had one sermon on discovering the giant within, the person you were always meant to be. And then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, unless I am under the regular exposition of Scripture, I think I'm going to fall from the faith. I don't trust myself, he said. I need the Word to correct me and rebuke me and encourage me and cause me to believe every week, and without it, I'm going to fall. So let's get back to preaching as a means of grace. What are we to have preached? Listen to Paul's admonition to Timothy, and it's found in 2 Timothy 4, 1-2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice from this passage the content of what is preached. Preach the word, says Paul. Declare the content of Scripture. Repeat the content of Scripture so that your hearers both understand what is being said and also know what, out of that given text of Scripture, to do or to believe that which God has said. Let them, from the content of Scripture, know what God has for their lives, and that's what the preaching of the Word is intended to do. Notice also that Paul makes it clear that there are going to be times in which some will have no time for this kind of thing. They'll say it's out of season, regardless that faithful preacher continues to preach the word. Notice also how Pastor Timothy is to preach, to reprove and to rebuke is to correct people, also to condemn ways that are unpleasing to the Lord preaching must arrest our patterns of disobedience and our unwillingness to listen to the Lord. It's got a call for genuine repentance and renewal. It's God's chosen means to cause us to grow. Notice also that Pastor Timothy is to preach the word in such a way as to exhort. That means to urge on or to insist on a pattern of faithfulness. And now, of course, the word is encouraging. It causes us to have hope. It brings us to a place of genuine joy. But by giving those negative examples, Paul is pointing out what my friend pointed out to me. He didn't trust his own heart or his own affections. In just a little while, unless he was constantly warned, he would begin to love worthless things and fail to love worthy things. You know, Charles Hodge was a Princeton theologian from the mid-1800s. He battled a tireless battle to defend the Christian faith. Listen to what this theological giant said about preaching. He said, True Christianity has flourished just in proportion to the degree in which the Bible is known and its truths are diffused among the people. Moreover, there are no evidences of salvation or sanctification to be found where the Word of God is not known. See, God has chosen to make His Word known through preaching. I remember years ago, a well-known theologian was attending a church that I had been called upon to lead. That theologian said he wanted to talk to me. And so in our meeting, he asked if I was intimidated by him or made to feel uncomfortable by his presence. And I honestly replied, no, period. And then he said, good, because another pastor had told him that he was intimidated by him. And then he said, you know, I'm not any different than anyone else. If my preacher is intimidated by me, how is he going to preach the Word to me and call me to repent? I need the word preached as much as everyone else does. Oh, never forgotten that. Jeremiah 23 verse 29, "Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Second Peter 1:19 says the word is a lamp shining in a dark place. Psalm 19 verse 7 says that it is the word that makes wise the simple. And Isaiah 55 verse 11 says that it is the Word that accomplishes the very thing that God has purposed it to do. And Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the Word of God pierces the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, preaching the Word. It is designed by God as a means of grace, given so that you might grow in Christ.
0: Thanks for your message, John. You know, I know one of the realities of not attending church is you don't hear the word being preached. But we have the Bible for ourselves, so is the preached word really that significant to our journey of faith?
1: Well, I'm gonna say if you don't hear the word being preached, you're probably gonna read your Bible a lot less. And even if you are continuing to read it, it's very tempting always to skew its meaning in such a way that fits our individual needs and never sees anything beyond our own individual you know, perspective and needs. So I'm, I'm gonna say this, preaching is a gift of God. It's told to us that we are to be under the preaching of the word, and it is a safeguard for us, both in terms of correction and in terms of encouragement at the same time.
0: Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series of The Church right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. February is back to the Bible Canada's International Focus Month. Over the last number of years, God has graciously presented opportunities for this ministry to network with global partners that share our values and intent. Currently, our partnerships extend to the United Kingdom, Asia, Africa, and the Caribbean. New Bible teaching tools, devotionals, and booklets are being translated now into 14 languages and growing. And we continue to work with international partners to train pastoral leaders to effectively teach the Bible. We're so grateful and privileged, God has opened doors for international ministry partnerships. Your financial support makes it all possible. To find out how you can send pastors to the Bible teaching conferences or support our international partnerships, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.